I see water through the trees. Not much, just flashes of sunlit blue. According to my atlas, there's a huge lake up the road. And in that lake, there's an island, which is the second biggest lake island on Earth. It's so big, it takes up most of the water. So tall that if I were taller than the trees, I could see the tip from here. When a meteorite crashed down 214 million years ago, a 60-mile crater sprouted from where it hit. And at the center, this island burst up, like a welt on damaged land. I think I'll take a look beyond these trees. Oh wow, you could almost call this a lake. There's no huge island, and if you were ungenerous, you'd call it a pond. But I'll call it a lake, just the same. I wonder if this also exists because of the meteorite. Maybe a pebble broke off and flew out to create this other, smaller lake. A secondary impact? Who knows? It's water. This is starting to feel less like Quebec. There are no more farms, fields, cows, or horses. Just trees and owls. Trees, wolverines, caribou, eagles and owls, and lumber trucks. Lots of lumber trucks, but none of them stop. Maybe they don't want to jostle their lumber. Maybe lumber trucks never stop till they get where they're going. One car does stop, though. It's not a lumber truck, but it's a car. It's driven by Shelley Hirsch, a vocalist, improviser, and composer who once told a story in a piece called Hitchhiking Heights about catching a ride in Holland with two old Germans, who made her feel very nervous. I left her thinking, how could they be so nice? We start by talking about her first time hitchhiking. I used to hitchhike, believe it or not, from East New York, Brooklyn, to the East Village as a teenager. I mean, I couldn't imagine doing that today. No, definitely not. Were there factors that made that easier then? No, just wildness. (laughs) But that was definitely in my teenage years because I moved out when I was 17. But I used to hitchhike from East New York to a Ukrainian restaurant in the East Village. It was nuts. I mean, crazy doing that. I would imagine you'd have met a lot of interesting characters on that route. Well, one time we got picked up by the singer-songwriter B.J. Thomas. I remember driving over the 59th Street Bridge with him. And I think that we also got picked up by Edward Winter. But that might have been when I was already out of the house. But definitely B.J. Thomas picked us up in his convertible. Was that an unusual thing to do among the people you grew up around? Probably, but my friend and I did it all the time. We would want to go to the country. And it was so crazy because I remember we packed our lunch. And on our way to New Paltz, New York, we got dropped off and we sat in the middle of the traffic island eating our tuna sandwiches. (laughs) So it started there. I think historically people looking back on the mid-60s think of that as a time when hitchhiking sort of peaked in America. From your perspective, was that true? Yeah, maybe up to the early 70s. 
I remember hitchhiking with my mother once back from the movie theater. I guess we went to the movie somewhere near Flatbush and hitchhiked back to East New York. We couldn't get a car or anything else or a bus. But that was in, like, I'm born in 52, so mid-late 60s, you know, is when. But I continued all, I mean, I hitchhiked in Berlin. And Berlin, I didn't go there till 1983, and I hitchhiked there. So solid decades of hitchhiking. More than a decade. But I wasn't doing it in the United States as much. My brother, who's a deadhead, I think he was doing more hitchhiking. And you also eventually moved to San Francisco, right? Was the culture of hitchhiking out there different from around New York? Yeah, people were doing it. But as you heard from that one piece, that one time I got Mm. abducted, I wasn't really hitchhiking then. Yeah, you were just at a bus stop. Did that abduction change your approach to hitchhiking? Well, actually, I hitchhiked across country with this guy that was a merchant marine and his girlfriend had fallen off a cliff on one of their he was a green beret he was an artist too he was in our community a long-haired guy but it was never clear how she died in their trip in the mountains and that i already was leaving california the first time so then i was 19 or going on 20 but i didn't get abducted when i was hitchhiking right just at a bus stop right but it does seem like that might have led to the increased anxieties that come through in hitchhiking heights. Right, it did. But I still went and hitchhiked across country with this guy, but he had been a former Green Beret. Did that make you feel safer? or? I guess so. Although one time we took over for the driver on one of these giant trucks, and we said, you can't, 24 hours, that's way too much. But Matt who was the guy I was traveling with, took over, and a car banged into us, and then the police came, and we had to wake up the guy, and then we had to run out somewhere in Kansas. Just in the middle of the road? In the middle of the road. Where did you run to? How did you get out of that? I don't even know how we got out of that. I know we had to have continued hitchhiking. I can't believe that we would have gotten a bus from there. But it's sort of like my memory stops at running away, you know, waiting for the guy to wake up because he's the one with the license. And I remember we left him and I felt terrible. Wow. I found it interesting in in Hitchhiking Heinz that one of the themes you touch on is your own prejudice within it. Exactly. Yeah. How do you think hitchhiking shaped your own prejudices? Well, the wonderful thing about Hitchhiking Heights is that I learned that my prejudices were, in that case, unfounded. My fear of them and that they'd know I'm Jewish didn't wind up to be true. They turned out to be so generous and kind. I don't know if they thought about me being Jewish or not, but I can imagine they knew that Hirsch is a Jewish name. So that was a kind of celebration of your mind opening, just assuming the worst, and then these people turn out to be very generous people. Did you carry that experience into... Yeah, but, you know, I grew up in a very rough neighborhood, right near the Cypress Hills Projects. And on our block, during the white flight time, 
black people, some of the Italian Americans were like, the fucking, they're not going to walk down our fucking street. You know, that's how they acted towards black people. And I understood coming home on the subways late at night that black people had a reason to be angry at white people. So it didn't eliminate my fear, but it gave me some compassion as to why. Still, I don't like that I have those residual feelings, but we all try to overcome these things from our past. But with that guy, I thought, oh, you know, he's black, but look at how neat he looks. And I'm not going to give in to any prejudiced feelings that a black person wouldn't be trustworthy. Yeah. But he turned out to be very untrustworthy, but not because he was black, but just there was another example of where I'm thinking of race, but actually it's the person. Right. Do you think coming from East New York had made you like a more pragmatic type of hitchhiker than your peers who'd come from suburbs? Well, I think I was taking a lot of chances, which I don't think were very pragmatic. Like, I don't think people growing up in a neighborhood where there's that kind of violence and racial tension, probably, I think I was very idealistic and trusting. Do you think you were hitchhiking in in any way a different way than your more privileged peers? That's something I don't know. I'm I was just kind of wild and trusting in New York in those times, even though I was once in the house of, I think, either a guy that got murdered by the Hells Angels. You know, my father would freak out when he heard I was going to the East Village, but he basically wasn't home all the time anyway. And yet we were around some dangerous people. But we were always looking for enlightenment, intellectual, spiritual, you know, in every way. So we thought we would find that in those areas more than in our own neighborhood. Did you have any conversations while hitchhiking that enlightened you or sort of expanded your horizons? Well, no, but unfortunately, my friend Ada told me that she actually had to fight off somebody one time I got out of a car in California when I was alone and the guy, you know, advanced upon me or something. But she told me that she was hitchhiking in Israel and the guy tried to attack her. But I never really, there wasn't much talk about it. We just decided to do it. And even I did it in Berlin. This was hilarious. In Berlin, I felt, oh, my God, everything is so safe here. There's a luxury. One time I got picked up by a guy and I was saying, why is it that you can't get sauerbraten anywhere? And he invited me home to have dinner with his wife. And they showed me all these old photos and they had sauerbraten, but they had the boxed kind of canoodles. It's so funny. I can't believe I did that. But I hitchhiked more than once there and even picked up by some Turkish people. But when I think about it now, I think, yikes, what was I thinking? But I think in some ways, I wish we had that culture where it would be a safe thing to do. If you you don't have a ride somewhere and you're getting off the bus or the train, people would do it. And that it would be more of a generous sharing, which I guess that was my thoughts about it 
Yeah. In my experience in Europe, that seems to be more part of the culture than it is in Definitely. the US. Definitely. Yeah. Like they expect students to be hitchhiking almost. Oh, well, in Russia, people were hitchhiking a lot. I have crazy hitchhiking stories in Russia. From when? What period? 2001 or 2000. Like I was in St. Petersburg and people would say, listen, we're not able to get back to the venue now. Let's just hitchhike. <laughs> One time, the most bizarre thing happened. It wasn't really hitchhiking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just the craziest story. This woman became an enormous fan of my work and she was a young opera singer. And she was driving me to a gig, which... I had no idea what the place looked like, but we got stuck on the road. The cops stopped us on the road. I don't know whether she was speeding, whether something, I don't know, but they stopped us. And she was also having problems with her car. And we're in there, and she's she's a very beautiful young woman, and the cops are talking to her. And all of a sudden, they start, I don't remember how many cars they stopped, But finally, one car stopped and they said, get in to me. The cops, the cops said, get in. This guy will take you to where you're going. But they left Paulina there. And I was like, oh, my God, her car is she's stuck here. What am I going to do? You know, anyway, so the guy, it turned out when he dropped me off, they told the people that were producing the concert that the cop told him that if he took me, he wouldn't have to pay a fine for speeding or whatever he was doing. Wow. And then she wound up getting there. The cops helped fix her car. Well, that's a happy ending to that story. That's good. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that kooky? So in all your years of hitchhiking, where did you sleep while traveling? I was listening to a bunch of your improvisations, including one in St. Petersburg. Some of the sounds you were making sounded sort of like the thing you would hear if you were sleeping in the woods at night. Uh, yeah. Did any of those sorts of sounds that you heard while hitchhiking sneak into your music? Not during hitchhiking, although obviously there's the hitchhiking stories, yeah. you know, like hitchhiking Heinz, but not really. Those other things, generally, when we went hitching into the countryside or hitching up to Newport, Rhode Island, which I should write about because that was... An incredible story. I had auditioned for a movie with a friend of mine called Taking Off. And we decided to hitchhike up my second time to the Newport Jazz and Blues Festival. When we got up to Newport in the town of Newport, we were staying with a guy we met. And I had my first acid trip. And that was an enormous nightmare. And I know we had to hitchhike after that. We wound up hitchhiking with some people from the circus, and I was thinking of joining, but I didn't. I don't know how we got out of that, and we wound up hitchhiking to New Hampshire, where some friends of mine were living. But we were hitching back, and all of a sudden, I see these people filming on the road, and I see there's one of the guys that was shooting the film we auditioned for on Avenue A in the East Village. And I'm waving to them, my God, look, hey. Apparently, they filmed me doing that and then yelled, cut. But they got me on film. 
And they told me, we've been trying to contact you to play a role in the film, but <laughs> there were no answering machines in 1970. I don't know what year that was. But it was just serendipity that you ended up in the film. Exactly, yeah. Were there any encounters while hitchhiking that shaped your music? Yes, the most important one that ever happened to me. When I was in California, I wanted to be a kabuki dancer. And women don't do that. But I moved into a neighborhood with my former roommate from New York. And she was living not only on a street that was the same street that I grew up in in New York, street name, but it was in the Japanese part of town. Anyway, the guy living at the house with us stole all my money and left. But at the same time, I learned women don't do kabuki, but I almost had a Japanese dance teacher, but I had no money. Mm. So one day I was hitchhiking. I don't know to where. But I met the guy in the back of the car who told me about a theater workshop that he was going to be attending and that if I was into that kind of thing, I should go. Well, guess what? I went and I wound up joining that theater company and touring with him. And I'm still close with my former theater director. We hadn't seen each other in 30 years or 40 years. She's 86 and an activist now. <laughs> That's so cool. Do you think that hitchhiking made you a better improviser? <laughs> I think, uh, no, I think being an improviser allowed me to hitchhike or, you know, maybe <laughs> okay. it's... Like, you a, know. like an instinctual improviser. Yeah, I just had that follow your nose kind of instinct spirit. Yeah, I'm not sure if you've ever ended up owning a car. It seems like you've lived most no, of the No, I just don't even drive. How about that? My mother used to say, I'm going to get rid of my pedestrian license if you ever drive. You know, because everybody would think I'd be looking out of the window and pointing <laughs> to some amazing thing that I see out of the window. So yeah. I better not be in the driver's seat. <laughs> yeah, some people just live better on foot. Right. As I said, I think my brother, he lives in Colorado. He has a car and a truck, but I think he... up until a few years ago, was hitchhiking, and he's 65. Yeah, I can't even imagine the perspective of hitchhiking at an older age, because so many of the times when people pick me up, they're like, oh, you looked like a college student or something. You looked harmless. Right. It's true. It's different. I mean, I've definitely been visiting friends on the countryside, and there are people hitchhiking, and sometimes we've picked them up when they look benign and other times it didn't feel right. But you, you definitely think twice. Yeah, and you don't really see people hitchhiking too much on the East Coast for some reason. Like in Colorado, you obviously still see hitchhikers on the road, and even in California, but I don't know what it is over here. Well, it's much more urban. I mean, it feels freer out West, even the idea of out West, you know, the mountains and the sun and the nature. It feels more expansive, and there's certainly less public transportation. Well, that sounds very naive. I'm not sure if that's true. <laughs> Did hitchhiking ever land you in any beautiful spots in nature? I Certainly that little stop where we had our tuna sandwich on the <laughs> island was not one of them. Yeah, one time when I told the guy who his advances, I... I pushed away 
and I got out of the car in the middle of some incredibly beautiful landscape in California. That was very special. I just remember the goldenness of it, probably around Marin County or hitchhiking back from Russian River. Mm-hmm. It feels like it was on my way back to San Francisco. There's a gravel path leading into the woods. It's surrounded by skinny, burnt-up trees and boulders. Not much cover for a tent. I'll have to get pretty far if I don't want to be seen from the road. 